Today I want to explore resilience, this word resilience, and offer a few words about what we might learn from the natural world to help us as we face these truly unprecedented times. I speak to you as a UU minister, as a former botanist and ecologist. No, I don't still do that while I'm doing the UU ministry, but it's still in my heart. And as a Midwesterner. Although I come to you from the Pacific Northwest, where I've lived since I was 18, I grew up in Terre Haute, Indiana, just a few hours southeast of here, where my mother still lives in the historic part of town and where I used to walk to an old brownstone house for Sunday school where the Unitarian Universalist Fellowship met there. My roots run deep among Midwestern Unitarians. My mother's family were homesteaders in a small western Iowa town called Cherokee out on the prairie. They were truly free thinkers for their time, and my great-great-grandmother and great-grandmother helped found a Unitarian church there in 1890. And not only that, but they invited the great Reverend Mary Safford, who was part of the Iowa Sisterhood, if you've ever heard some of the history of women ministers, uh, to be their first visiting minister in 1890. Almost a hundred years later, I went back to Western Iowa to spend the summer studying prairie ecology at Iowa Lakeside Labs, a field station run by the University of Iowa. For many of us in the Midwest, the word prairie is just a name applied to roads, shopping centers, maybe a subdivision, prairie oaks, prairie meadows. I'm always amazed at the way that subdivisions seem to come up with names that represent what used to be there. Where I grew up, the prairies were all gone replaced by cornfields, soybean fields, and a few shopping centers. All that was left were a few place names and that rich black prairie soil. I didn't even realize that I was growing up on the edge of what had once been one of the great wonders of the world the Great Plains, the prairies of North America that stretched from Indiana, where they began as a kind of mosaic of grassland and forest, all the way to the Rockies and from up in Canada down to Texas. Huge area, an ocean of grass. I didn't even know what tall grass prairie looked like until that summer at Lakeside Labs. How many of you here have stood in the middle of a tall grass prairie, even a little patch or remnant of tall grass prairie? 
Okay, number of you, yeah. If you have, in midsummer, you know that the big blue stem grasses reach above your head, even if you're taller than I am, which isn't saying much, and you are surrounded by a riot of flowers. Prairie coneflower, aster, goldenrod, milkweed, milk vetch, many, many others, blue and red and orange, and all of it threaded through by zigzag flights of bumblebees and butterflies under a hot blue-white summer prairie sky. So that was my first experience of really being in prairie. Within a few miles of Lakeside Labs, there were several large areas of unplowed prairie where the original wildflowers and grasses grew as they had for millennia. Standing in the middle of one of those prairie remnants felt like standing in the Garden of Eden, even if there was a cornfield just on the other side of the fence. And you might think that leaving a prairie alone, fencing it off, that in that way the prairie would stay vibrantly alive. But no, that was tried early on. Let's just fence it off. But if a prairie is left alone, gradually it will begin to change. First, the wildflowers begin to disappear, the grasses become dominant. And if there are forests nearby, shrubs will begin to grow in the prairie, and then trees. And in a few decades, that prairie is now a forest. And the only thing left to mark its traces is that dark prairie soil. So, what does a prairie need? A prairie needs fire. Fire and prairies go hand in hand. Without fire, no prairies. Before there were people, lightning strikes were the main cause of fire, and because there was this ocean of grass, the fires could burn for miles and miles across the prairie. And native people learned that fire led to an abundance of buffalo and game. And so the prairie landscape was a sort of cooperation between grasses, lightning, native peoples, buffalo, and fire, fire, fire. Fire on the prairie brings even greater abundance. And within a few weeks after a fire, there are new green shoots coming up all around because all the prairie plants have evolved and are adapted to fire. And the next spring, if you've ever seen this after a fire, the flowers are bigger and brighter than ever because of all the nutrients that have been released from the soil and all the old vegetation that's been cleared away to allow for new growth. 
Now, as a child, I was terrified of fire. In fact, when I was telling this story, I was realizing I would have been frightened of the story that I told the children today. And I saw one little girl looking at me and her, her eyebrows were furrowed. I wasn't sure she was very comfortable with that story. I was frightened of fires because I had had two close calls with house fires before I was seven years old. And fire haunted my nightmares and my daily life. Just to be in the room with a lit candle or with a gas-burning stove provoked tremendous anxiety for me as a child. Fire was an unpredictable, destructive force that could strike at any time, changing everything. So imagine what it was like for me just a few years later out of my childhood to begin to understand what fire meant to the prairie, that it was also a power of renewal, of healing, and even survival, rather than just destruction. I have friends who are ecologists who love nothing more than being part of a controlled burn on a prairie, working with that wild, unpredictable, and yet ultimately renewing force and energy. So, why am I telling you all these stories about fire and prairies? What does this have to do with our lives right now? Perhaps you have an inkling. All of us, without exception, have times in our lives when the fire sweeps through, when the earth turns black with char, when we, all that we know and love is swept away. These times happen. These are part of a human life. The Latin origins of the word uh, resilience come from salire, to leap back, to recover from difficulties, to persist in the face of change. In other words, to survive. But more than survive, to find a way through change that is transformational. And in ecology, resilience is actually a technical word for the ability of ecosystems to respond to disturbance, to recover from damage, to adapt and thrive after fires, hurricanes, floods, droughts, even bulldozers. This time, right now, is a time of much destruction of what many of us hold most dear. Protections for the women, for women and the environment, for health care, attacks on immigrants and refugees and anyone other, erosion of aspects of democracy that we had assumed would always, always be part of our country. I know many, many of you perhaps in this sanctuary are suffering and fearful right now unsure of what the future may bring. I wonder too. Last December, the feminist singer-songwriter Chris Williamson sang at my church in Washington State, and she said these words. 
Sometimes it takes a nightmare to wake us up. This has really stayed with me as a sort of Zen koan, a powerful challenge. Sometimes it takes a nightmare to wake us up. No one wants a nightmare. No one chooses to have the fires of destruction take what you love. But perhaps, just perhaps, the prairie has something to teach us. Perhaps we needed waking up. And as we wake up, who knows what is possible? What flowers may bloom? What colors may appear in the world for the very first time? We don't know what will grow from this time. And I think we're already seeing this. I think of the seas of pink hats, millions of them, all the people who joined with the women's marches around the world in peaceful resistance and solidarity the day after the inauguration. Who could have imagined that? I think of how people have become engaged in the political process as they never have before. Who could have imagined that? I think of Standing Rock and the seeds of prayerful, nonviolent action and standing together now spread throughout Indian country and beyond, begun by a small group of young people and elders praying together. Who could have imagined that? And it turns out, in ecology, one of the most important factors for resilience is diversity. The more diverse an ecosystem, the more chance it has to recover. Monocultures, like a field of corn or an orchard of trees, are tremendously vulnerable. A pathogen can come along and wipe out the whole system. But the more species, the more different species that are living together, the more chance that that system can respond to change, can adapt to change. Human resilience is like that too. We are stronger in our diversity. We have to celebrate that diversity. So during those women's marches, my niece and her children marched in the women's march in Lisbon, Portugal, where they live. And my niece held a sign that said, they tried to bury us. They didn't know we were seeds. Yeah. This expression was used by the Zapatistas in Mexico in the 1990s as they stood up against globalization and the entrenched and corrupt powers of the Mexican government. But it turns out, I did a little research on this, that these words were originally written as a two-line poem in the 1970s by a Greek poet, Dinos Christianopoulos, 
who was rejected by the literary community because of his open expression of his homosexuality. His words in translation are, what didn't you do to bury me, but you forgot I was a seed? And think about what has changed since the 1970s. So as a botanist who worked to protect and conserve rare plants, I have a deep respect for seeds, for their capacity to endure almost anything, carrying their precious cargo into the future. There are seeds that will only germinate and grow after fire, that in fact need fire to germinate. There are pines in the Southwest whose cones are tightly closed by resin that will op only open in a very hot fire when the conditions are right for pine seedlings to finally grow in that area. Seeds can survive for hundreds and hundreds of years. There are seeds from the Anasazi ruins in the Southwest of beans that still germinated and grew when they were found. Part of my work was collecting seeds of endangered plants for seed banks in case that species went extinct in the wild. There are actually seed banks throughout the world from the Arctic to the Amazon, protecting seeds of wild plants, food plants, medicinal plants, protecting the past, all those millions of years of evolution, thousands of years of breeding by human beings, and the future. When we may need those seeds, when the world may need that diversity. And seeds come in many, many forms. Of course, there are seeds of plants, but there are also seeds of culture, seeds of language, seeds of all that is unique and irreplaceable, the many, many gifts of the world. I heard Randy Hayes, the founder of the Rainforest Action Network, say that it is time for each of us to adopt one species, one place, one thing we really, really care about and make a commitment to protect and care for that that is closest to our heart. To say, I'll care for you. I'll carry you through the storm as best I can. I think each of us has to consider how we will respond in this time. Whatever's ahead, I know that the world will always need people who are willing to protect what we care for, what we believe in, holding our seats close, passing them quietly from hand to hand, guarding them as the storm rages over us so that one day they may bloom again. They will bloom again. That's what seeds know how to do. 
They know how to carry their message through every sort of circumstance. So I want to leave you with one last image, something I hadn't thought of for years until I was working on this sermon. When I was a teen, long before I became a botanist or even imagined that that could be my future, I saw a pen and ink cartoon that just entranced me. I cut it out and I had it pinned to the wall above my desk for years. So the artist had drawn a cityscape, a landscape of concrete everywhere. Not a tree to be seen, but right in the middle of the image was a crack in the sidewalk and a tiny wisp of a green weed was growing out of that crack. Might have even made that crack. And there was a little plump man bending over with his hands on his knees and this big grin on his face, admiring the little weed. Whatever is ahead of you in your life, or for us all, remember the lessons of the prairies and the seeds and that little crack in the sidewalk. You carry within you, as your heritage, great resilience. You are seeds, each and every one of you. And seeds, by their nature, are irrepressible. Life, by its nature, is irrepressible. Let your life bloom. Let it break through the concrete.